0: Area 10 faith community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, onto to this week's message. My question is, what is the purpose of parenting? Why do we do it? What is what is parenting all about? What is the purpose? What what are, what's going on when we get into that? Now, a lot of us um, probably haven't thought about that. If you don't have children, you probably haven't thought about a lot because you're not going to have a bunch of opinions about something that's not you're interested in or you're not about. Actually, that's wrong. In the age of the internet, we all have opinions about things we don't know anything about. Uh, but, but, but. Mostly, you, you don't give it a lot of thought. What is the purpose of parenting? If you don't have kids, you don't think about that. But I would actually say that a lot of people who are parents don't think about it a lot either. We don't think about what we're trying to do here. We think about, oh, I have kids. Like They're going to bring joy, and I'm going to carry on the family name, and, and it's going to be fun. And, and, and Or maybe it's like this primal, like maternal or paternal instinct of like, I want to make more of the species and I need to do that. And this, and I want to make one just like me and, and that kind of thing. Maybe we think that, but we don't really often back up and go like, what is the point of this? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Um, we can make kids, many of us, but Staying engaged with them as parents—that's a different thing. My my dad, I mean, he made seven kids, but he wasn't really engaged with any of us. And so, um, there's a difference there between making kids and actually being a parent. So, what is the point here? What is the purpose of parenting? What is it for? What are we trying to accomplish when we become parents? I think that's important for us to understand because we need to know the game that we're playing here as as parents. What are what are we what are we getting into? Um, But I also think it's important. Uh, not just for parents, but for people who want to be parents, this conversation that we're going to have. I think it's important for people who want to be parents because some of you are going to attempt to be parents, biological parents, right? Some of you are going to foster or adopt, and that'll be an, an awesome thing. Um, and so we want to have that conversation. Some of you uh, maybe aren't married and, and you'd like to be someday and you'd like to have kids, so this is a conversation that's worth talking about, like what's, what's going on there. But I also just think, like, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's like kids everywhere, there's lots of them out there. And so something's going on in society as a whole. People are having children and you see them around. And we should talk about what is the point of that, what is going on, because those kids are going to grow up and they're going to be your coworkers or employees or friends or they're going to be at your school or they're going to be at your church. Like um, parenting and what is happening with children affects all of society. Um, a lot of decisions, even around COVID, right, were, were made around parents and children and what's going on there, right? So just, it, it, it plays out all over the place. And so we need to talk about it because what we're doing as parents is going to affect all of us eventually uh, anyway. So I thought about um, different ways to access this. Like, what is the point of parenting? And I looked to the American Pediatric Association because they're, you know, an authority on these things. I like, go, all right, what does the APA say is the purpose of parenting? And they say, number one, parenting is to ensure a child's health and safety. So, parenting, part of your job is to make sure that they kind of grow up and live and survive, because it's... It's a harsh world out there, and kids are the most vulnerable members in in the world, right? And so this is why your parents told you to put a coat on because it's cold outside. This is why they make you eat your vegetables. This is why they limit the amount of time that you're on screens because we're trying as our job as parents to make sure that the children grow up and they're safe and healthy, right? Number one. Number two, the APA says that uh, parenting is to help children prepare for life as productive adults. Makes sense. We want to see you get out on your own and do your own thing. And so part of our job is to make sure you arrive there alive and safe, yes, but with the skills necessary to function as an adult. We want you to know how to, whatever, pay taxes or hold down a job or show up for work on time or live somewhere other than our basement or whatever. Like this is Part of the goal of parenting is we want you to be able to go out, eventually leave the nest, fly out, and do your own thing. Like, that's part of the role. And then the third one, they say, is that parenting is to transmit cultural values. Now, I think that's really interesting that the APA would say that, and I think it's true. Um, we have values as parents, and we want to pass them on to the next generation. It's sort of a part of the legacy that we leave. We say, this is what matters. This is, And so we tell our kids, this is what is good. This is what is bad. This is what is right. This is what is wrong. This is good, evil. Like, here's here's the separations in the world, and here's what we value as a family, and we want you to carry that on and value that as well as, as a member of this family. Um, I think that's good. But it is interesting to think about what are the values that we pass on if part of parenting is to do that, what are we actually passing on to the kids that are in our care? Um, And and I thought, what does the culture say are the values that we should be passing on? If we are living in um, a heavy religious culture, like an Islamic culture, it might be pretty obvious what the values are that need to be passed on. You need to believe in Allah and and all that kind of thing. Um, But in in the Western world, in, in mostly secular societies, it's a little harder to get our hand, or, hand around what are the values we're passing on as parents. And so uh, I, I, I found this list. They did a survey in 2015, and they asked parents, what do you want your kids to be? And that's one good way of accessing like, what are our values we're trying to pass on to our kids. So those of you who are parents, if I asked you, what do you want your kids to be when they grow up? Uh, how, how would you answer Well, there were the top five answers that were given in this survey of like, parents in 16 different countries Number one is this, I want our kids to be happy in life. Number two, we want our kids to lead a healthy lifestyle. Number three, we want our kids to earn enough to enjoy a comfortable life. Number four, to be successful in their career. And number five, to fulfill their potential. Now leave that up on the screen for just a moment. Think about the values that are behind all of those statements. There's a lot being said there and a lot sort of unsaid, right? If our goal as parents is to make sure our kids are happy in life, how do you think that's going to go? Like, my number one goal is my kids are going to be happy. Mm, That's going to be rough because there's some unhappiness in their future coming, right? And happiness is so up and down and sort of comes and goes. Lead a healthy lifestyle. What is healthy? What are we defining? How do we define that? Earn enough to enjoy a comfortable life. What is comfortable and how much do you have to earn to enjoy comfortable, counting for inflation? Um, and, and think about the value behind that. It is a value of mine that my kids live comfortably as if comfortable is the point. But it's really, really important that they're comfortable. Is it? Is that important? Is that the thing that we're going for? I want them to be successful in their career. What does successful mean? What, 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 is, what are the values that are behind these... Statements. Um, I think these are important for us to think about. Um, We are going to, we're starting a new series today, and it's called Legacy, and we're talking about what we pass on to the next generation. This is a conversation for parents, in part, but it's also just a conversation for, it takes a whole village to raise kids, and so it's for the whole village right here. It's for all of us to have a conversation about. What are we passing on to the young people that are around us? Whether we are parents, whether we are their teachers, whether we are the cool aunt and uncle or whatever, like there are, there are younger people around you and they look up to you in some way. What are you passing on to them? Um, author, therapist, Shannon Alder, she says this, carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. A legacy is etched into the minds of others and the stories they share about you. Um, I, I, I really like that quote, carve your name on hearts. I would actually modify it and say, as Christian parents, we want to carve Jesus' name onto hearts, not, not ours. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, let's talk about what it takes to, to leave a legacy and what exactly are we carving with, with children and um, what is the purpose of parenting. To get at that, I want to go back a couple thousand years because we're not the first people to be parents. And so we don't need to rely on whatever the hot wisdom of today is. We can look back in history and go, what have people always said about this? And I'm going to go all the way back to four, roughly 1410 BC, okay? So we're going to go way back on this one. Let me let me set the scene for you and, and, and tell you, because I'm going to read a scripture to you from the Old Testament, and I want you to understand where it comes from. The Israelites, as a people group were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, from about 1446 to 1406, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, yeah, four, yeah, about 400 years they were enslaved. And um, they were, uh, while they're slaves, their entire life is slavery, right? So they're building the things of ancient Egypt. They're making bricks and they're, they're doing this. And the Egyptians are ruling them, this entire ethnic group, um, and making them work hard. And when you are a slave, um, the decisions are made for you. You don't have to think about how you want to live. You don't want to think about your purpose in life. You don't have to think about who you are truly. You don't have like to think about what are my hopes and dreams. Your hopes and dreams are you're going to sit there and make bricks forever. And so are your kids. And so are their kids. Like you just, and, and you're going to be fed and you're going to have a place to live. So that's kind of nice, but you're, you're worked hard for 400 years. God sends a deliverer to them, a guy named Moses. Moses rises up, God leads him, and and he confronts Pharaoh, says, Let my people go. There are ten plagues that God brings upon the Egyptians that make Pharaoh eventually go, Fine, get out of here. And the Egyptians in mass, about a million people, leave Egypt and they and they escape and they they, they get freed from slavery, the Exodus. The story's told in the book of Exodus, um, and it has been recounted by by Generation after generation for a couple thousand years. So they leave. They leave Egypt and they they go and they run away from Pharaoh and they come to the edge of the Red Sea. And um, Pharaoh's army starts to chase them. They're caught between the sea and Pharaoh's army. God parts the water of the sea. They walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. And Pharaoh's army comes in behind them. And then God puts the water back where it was, basically, and washes away all of Pharaoh's army. It's an incredible thing. From that point, the the Israelites. Go through the desert for 40 years as a massive. Think of think of like a camping trip that goes on for 40 years. Some of you are like 40 minutes is too long for camping, <laughs> and I and I feel you. You are my people, and this is not glamping. This is rough, uh, with with a, a million of your closest friends through the desert for 40 years. There's a lot of organization, a lot of things that have to happen. This is written about for the first three or four books of the Old Testament. There's writings about what they did, how it worked. And God shows up and delivers them, and he gives them food every day. He gives them victory over enemies who are trying to kill them off in the desert. It is a wild scene. Well, during that 40 years, God is training his people, the Israelites, he's training them how to be a people. Because they don't know, they've been slaves. They don't know how to function as a society. And so God gives them laws and guidelines. This is what you're supposed to do. Eat this, don't eat this. Go here, don't go there. These are sanitation laws. Here's some laws about diet. Here's some laws about um, if people have fights with each other. What happens if someone murders someone? How do you handle it? Like, there's all these laws and rules in the Old Testament that are given to this nomadic people wandering through the desert so that when they get into their own country, the land of Israel, um, when they go in and sort of invade and like take this land and say, this is our land, this is where we're going to be. They needed some guidelines on how to actually live as a free people in in this society, so God gives them those laws. Right before they go into the promised land at the end of their 40 years, so around 1410 BC, somewhere around there, Moses gathers the people together and basically goes through the law again with them and says, don't forget when we get in there, guys, don't forget a couple things. Here's sanitation. Here's, you know, laws about sexual relationships, or here's what we do if someone murders somebody or like all these laws. And he also gives them this speech where he tells them all that God has done and he reminds them of who they are. And he, and he tells them, he's basically like, Hey, don't forget this. When we get into this new land, I want you to remember who we are. And in that speech is Deuteronomy chapter six. And I want to read it to you because it, it actually speaks to parenting. It speaks to legacy. It speaks to what we pass on to the next generation. But honestly, what I'm about to read you might be the most recited uh, piece of literature or writing in the history of the world. Okay? Um, and, and, there, and there's a reason for that. But this is a big deal that has shaped human history, what I'm about to read to you, okay? In this speech... Um, I think are some of the most important words of identity and purpose in human history. In this speech, Moses calls the people together and he gives them the word from God. And I want to pick it up in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. He says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. All right. Hear, O Israel. The word "here" in Hebrew is the word shema. And so this, this speech here, this little section that is recited, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God. This whole thing is called the shema. And it is recited by Orthodox Jews uh, even to this day. It, it, and historically, it's been recited about three times a day that you would say this thing over and over. Um, hear, O Israel. Hear this, right? Let this land in your ears, land in your heart, um, H- hear this: uh, the 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 Lord our God, the Lord is one, is the way it starts. Now, there's actually a lot in there that we need to get our get our heads around. Um, the Lord our God, not just your God, not just your God, but it's the Lord our God. There's community here. There is a God, and He's the God over us, not just over me. It's not my own personal relationship. It is our thing also with God. The Lord, our God is one. We go, okay, what's the big thing about one? Well, in a world of polytheists, right, of Zeus and Apollo and Isis and Osiris and multiple gods and all the cultures around them, this was a weird thing that they're monotheists. They're saying there's just one God. So they're reciting this to remind themselves, guys, here's the truth. There is a God. There's one God. He's ours, not just yours or mine. Um, and, and this sets people in relationship with their creator. There's a creator, God. Um, he has done this. And he, he has created the world. Um, and, and they would recite this every day. What do you think it does if you recite that every day? I think part of what it does is it grounds you in the truth. You know how it's, we, we talk about it in modern culture and modern psychology. We talk about daily affirmations, you know? Like you look in the mirror and you're like, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, you is smart, you is kind, you know, like whatever. Like we look in the mirror and say these things, daily affirmations. What are we doing? We're trying to ground ourselves in something outside of ourselves that we, we could say this is true. This is who I am. This is what the Shema does for Jews throughout history. It grounds them in the truth. The truth is there is a God, you are not that God. And he's ours. Like, you need to understand the relationship here. What do you think it does to us to, to recite that and to remember that, the truth of that? What would it do to you if you recited that every day, multiple times a day? What would it do to you to remind yourself every day there is a God over all this and you're not him? I think that's good. I think that's needed now, not just back then. In a world where we freak out by the news cycle, in a world where there's another whatever, train derailment, problem, war, situation, inflation, whatever, in a world of all the things, what would it look like to daily tell yourself, there's a God, you're not him. There's a God, you're not him. A daily reminder. How, how could that affect your sense of, of identity? Um, the second statement here, you should love the Lord your God with all your soul Uh, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Um, Think about not just what that says about God, think about what that says about who we are. We are people who have heart, soul, and mind, or heart, soul, and strength, is what he says. So heart, in Jewish uh, Jewish terms, is, is the word lev, and it doesn't just mean this thing beating in your chest, and it doesn't even mean emotions, which is what we talk about. Lev means something like the authority within, So your heart is not just something you feel. Your heart is more like your desire, your will, the center of you. Um, There's emotion in that for sure, but it's, it's more than just emotion. So you're supposed to love God is what this says. Love God with your heart, with your soul, which means you are not just a body. You are a body, but you're more than that. There's something else spiritual going on. There's an unseen spiritual reality to you. The thing that separates you from everything else in the world is you have a soul. You are a soul. That's in there as well. This is why when you look at a person, you go, that is someone. You don't say that's something. The difference between something and someone is that someone is a person which has personhood, which has a soul, which is created in the image of God. There's something very different about people than other things in the room, or even than other animals. You have a soul. You, that is part of the essence of you. So you love God with your heart, your will, your desire, but also with your soul. And then also it says, love God with your strength. Strength, um, there's a Hebrew word, me'od, and it, and it means, it, it could be translated, love God with all of your muchness, your fullness of, of all your energy, Um, I kind of like that. I mean, think about humanity. You are not as strong as an ox. You are not as agile as a cat. You're not as fast as a gazelle. But you are a pretty amazing combination of all of that. There are just things the body can do, the human body can do. That is incredible the way we can function and adapt and move in the world. Yes, the human body has limitations for sure, but it is truly a marvel This is why the scripture says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so we are to love God with our heart, our desire, with our soul, this spiritual reality to us, and we are to love God with our strength, with our energy as well. And Jesus, when he quotes this in the New Testament, and he's talking to a group of Jews in the first century, he quotes it and he adds loving God with your mind, so your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He adds that piece. Humans have the ability to think and reflect and learn and grow. Like the mind is a thing. It would have been very popular in sort of the Greek Roman world. Like the the mind is an important thing as well. And so um, Jesus adds that piece to it. And and when you put it all together, I think this says something about our identity. Notice I'm not talking about parenting right now. But all of this matters and is in the background. All of this put together, heart, soul, mind, and strength, if I going to put that all together, I would say, who we are as people, we are people who have heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we are heart, soul, mind, strength beings who are designed for love, to love God and to love others. We are heart, soul, mind, and strength beings who are designed for love. That's actually who we are. Now, imagine reciting that three times a day. Three times a day, I remember who God is. And I remember who I am and what I'm here for. This is huge for us to reflect on. And I think one of the biggest challenges we have in our culture right now, in America, in the 21st century, one of the biggest challenges we run into across almost every socioeconomic bracket, almost across all age groups and and probably fueled by social media and other things. But one of the biggest challenges we run into right now is the challenge of identity. We don't know who we are. We don't know, and we don't recite things like this anymore to remind us. We just kind of float in this vague, like, oh, you're a mammal, and you're a person, and you're this kind of person, and so we grab every label we can. Well, I'm this, 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 and this kind of person, but I'm this kind of person. We, all these identity words we're grasping at, trying to figure out who we are. And it's understandable how we got there. We have torn down most of the institutions in America. Religion, nah. Social clubs, nah. Uh, family, those people are lame. Like all the stuff that came before us, we want to rip all of that down and then decide for ourselves who we are. And the early results on that experiment is it's not going well to rip down everything and just try to make it up from scratch using nothing but our own amazing brains. Like it's just not going incredibly well. We're sending people off to college with no rootedness, no grounded, no identity and saying, figure it out. And they go, how do I figure it out? And we don't, I don't know, reach for the stars. We just say, whatever the heck we got from a Disney movie and hope that that will be enough for them to get, you know, just around the river bend and into the brave new possibilities of the hope of the dream of the stars and the, we need to be rooted and grounded people. And, and And I know I told you I'm going to talk about parenting, but if we're going to start talking about parenting, we need to start talking about parents first. Who are we, guys? Who are we? We are heart, soul, mind, strength beings who are designed for love. And so when we get into parenting... The first step of raising great kids is we have to know the purpose of what we're doing that, and before we know the purpose of parenting, we have to know who we are and why we are here, and the Shema helps you understand a little bit of who you are. So if I was going to get a handle on that and and say, what is parenting, what is the purpose of parenting, it is know who you are and why you're here and pass that on to the next generation. That's what we're doing as parents. Parents. In fact, that's exactly where it goes after it says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, strength. It says this, Deuteronomy verse, chapter 6, verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The, the idea is, this, this identity, who God is, who you are, why you're here, this is going to be on your heart. And then the next step, Moses reminds the people is, you're going to pass this on. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to teach these things to your children. Now, how do you do that? We'll talk about that more in this series. It's particularly where I want to get into the specifics of that verse. We'll do that in two weeks. Um, but this is a God-given purpose for parenting. This is what we're here for. We're not here to raise happy and successful kids. If your goal is to raise happy kids, it's a fool's errand. It's not going to work. I'll just let that out right now. It's not going to work. They will not always be happy, and hard stuff will come. Um, We have to think differently than that. I would actually say, as Christians, our goal should be in parenting is to raise disciples of Jesus. We're disciples and we're passing that on. We are transmitting those cultural values to, to the next generation. I, I want my kids to know who God is and who they are in relation to him. This was critical for Israel because they're nomads walking into a new home. They had kids during the wilderness. They're going to have kids when they move into the promised land. Kids who don't know that God parted the Red Sea. Kids who don't know that God brought plagues. And kids who don't know whatever it was like to be slaves. They're going to have kids who weren't there for that. And it is crucial that the parents, that the grown-ups in the room tell the next generation, hey, this is who God is. This is who we are. This is what happened before you got here. The world was going on before you showed up, and you need to know that you fit into the bigger story and that you have a place here. Kids need that kind, of the, those kind of um, boundaries. And so God um, gave them laws and, 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 and had them rehearse the story and gave them festivals to remember, this is why we're here. Um, and while those kids in 1400 BC needed that, I would argue that we need it too. If you follow Jesus today, if you're, if, you would, if you're in this room right now and you go, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jesus disciple, I'm following him. The reason you are, probably if we trace back your story, the reason you're a Christian is because someone older than you passed it on to you. There was a mentor, a friend, a coach, a teacher, a parent, a grandparent who said to you, let me tell you about Jesus. And you learned, you listened and you learned and you accepted and and it became a part of you. The, the early church passed on the faith in Israel, out into Asia, into Europe. Eventually, people uh, brought that faith over to the New World here in the 1600s or whatever, and even into Virginia, they brought the faith into Virginia and they started churches here. You can go find, go to Williamsburg and find them. Uh, the, the college of William and Mary was founded to spread the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. Like that was the idea. This stuff has deep history. And so we are the legacy. We are living the legacy of those who came before us, who decided it was worth telling us about Jesus. Someone passed it on generation to generation to your grandparents, to your parents, to a teacher, to a friend, who then told you about it. And it is now your role to pass that on to whoever comes after you. This is our role as parents. Maybe in decades past, American culture would do it for you. There was probably enough um, Christian imprint on the culture in the 1950s that you know, you could learn the Ten Commandments in school, in public school. You could, everybody went to church and, you know, maybe, there, maybe there, there was enough of that in the culture that you could just sort of pick it up. And to be a Christian was to sort of be American. But that is not the world we live in anymore. That is not what is taught in schools. Uh, that's not what is going to be taught in colleges. Um, we live in a in a very different society than that. So if the next generation is going to have faith in Jesus. It's going to be because the people of Jesus decided to pass that on and they were intentional about it. Um, this is our our role as parents. Um, the schools are not going to help you do it. Um, the church like this church will help you, but but it's more like you can do it, we can help. Like, it is still on you as parents to pass this on, and we will try to equip you and resource you and walk alongside you and link you up with other parents who are trying to do it as well. Um, but but that, that is what we're trying to do, um, and we need each other to do it. Um, and, and truthfully, we need everybody in on this. I had the idea about four months ago for this series, and I said to the staff, hey, I have an idea. Let's take all the parents out of the room in the bird theater and we'll go somewhere else and we'll get together and we're just going to have some honest conversations about parenting, what we're doing and why we're doing it. And everybody who's not a parent can stay in the bird. We'll do worship services as normal, but we'll just have a conversation just for parents. And they thought, and the staff was like, that's great. That'll be really difficult and a real pain in the butt to pull off. So I don't know that that's actually a great idea, Chris. Can you, can you not do that? Um, And I listened to them, but also their bigger point was, um, hey, actually, uh, everybody needs to be in on this conversation, because it doesn't just work as parents. And the whole spirit, of it takes a village, it's going to take more than just parents. Because the truth is, as your kids get older, they look to other adults and other people in their lives, not just parents. And so this needs to be sort of a community-level conversation conversation. sure for those of us who have children and are trying to raise them but for everybody we, we need everybody in on this conversation so we're having it in here uh, about how we're passing on the faith and, and, I, and I hope this applies to you as parents but I hope it also applies to you as a, a coach or a teacher or an aunt or uncle or um, you know just good friends with, pe- with people who have kids like um, we need to have this conversation amongst the whole community one last thing and then we'll, we'll wrap for today. Um, I am going to pull all the parents. We are going to pull all the parents together for lunch after church two weeks from today, March 19th. We're going to have a luncheon for parents and we'll call it the legacy luncheon. And, um, we're going to provide food for parents and kids. And we're going to have a conversation. We're going to interview, uh, a parent and we're going to have a conversation and we're going to break parents up by age of their children and have conversations about how to apply this stuff and how we can know each other and work together towards this, because it's going to take a whole community. Um, so if you, ha- if you are a parent and you have not signed up for that, uh, sign up for that through our website and, and show up because there are just some very parent-specific conversations we want to have there and we want you to know each other. Um, but secondly, what needs to happen there, when I say it takes a village, if all of the parents are having a conversation together, guess what's going to happen to their kids? They're going to run wild through Carrytown unless people who are not parents step up and say, I will, I will go work with those kids that day so that the parents can have this conversation, and this will be my way of supporting. I don't have kids right now. Maybe I don't want kids or what. Well, like, that's fine, but can you help out that day? Um, we need you to sign up for that too. So go to the website, sign up. It's going to be an important conversation, and it's going to be one that we can all have uh, together, and we need a, a sort of an all-hands-on-deck conversation ab- about that. All right? Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of parenting and um, the great work that it is, and um, it is exciting to uh, work with kids. There's a lot of joy and energy there, uh, but it comes with a lot of challenges too, and uh, I pray that we uh, begin with the end in mind. We know what we're trying to do as we step into parenting um, and that we think more deeply than, I want kids to be happy or successful or comfortable or any of those things that we think about. Um, what, what are we trying to transmit to the next generation? What do we want our kids to, where do we want them to be rooted and grounded? Um, what is what is solid solid soil, good soil that we can help them be planted in so they can flourish? Um, Thank you, Lord, for uh, teaching the Israelites thousands of years ago about, um, about this and about who they are and who you are and who they are in relation to you. God, may we internalize that as well um, and, be, and be fully aware of that as we, as we live our lives too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.